Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Skiophonic Podcast, the home of short stories for lifelong learners. Hi, guys. What is Skiophonic? Well, it's a huge collection of thought-provoking short stories. They're true. They're fun. And as it turns out, they just might make you more interesting. Skiophonic started out in the mind of an ER doctor looking for a way to learn while exercising. He was creative and full of ideas, but his voice was not well-suited for narration. So he teamed up with the latest AI tech and formed a collaboration that has blossomed into an audiobook, a mobile app, and this podcast. You know, whatever the platform, these stories are the perfect way to fill those free gaps of time in your schedule with content that is both interesting and productive. So thanks for joining us, and please check out the website. That's www.skiophonic.com or download the app on Apple or Google Play stores. Great. Now let's see what stories are lined up for us today. Andrew? Thank you, guys, and thanks to you listeners joining us. We have a special topic on the Skiophonic podcast today as we delve into the human psyche in an episode we call Understanding the Mind. It's an exploration of how our minds function and of what happens when things go wrong. These stories are sure to leave you in a trance, so lie back on the couch and let's explore the sounds of Skiophonic. Billy Milligan. Have you ever heard of multiple personality disorder? It's now called dissociative identity disorder. But it's a fascinating phenomenon, right? Someone's identity can splinter into multiple forms, each popping up at different times. I want to share with you the story of Billy Milligan. He had this disorder. However, some of the identities he possessed were truly sinister. Criminal, even. But Billy himself was completely unaware of and unable to stop the atrocities that those personalities committed. Well, at least that's what his criminal defense lawyers wanted us to believe. Born William Stanley Milligan in 1955, Billy's life was marked by trauma from an early age. He was subjected to physical and emotional abuse, experiences that psychologists believe led to the fragmentation of his identity. In the late 70s, Milligan was arrested for a series of kidnappings, rapes, and robberies in the Ohio State University area. His case took a turn for the extraordinary when his defense team pleaded insanity, claiming that Milligan suffered from what was then known as multiple personality disorder. Milligan was said to have 24 distinct personalities, each with their own characteristics, mannerisms, and even physical traits. Among these personalities were Arthur, a sophisticated Englishman, Reagan, a Yugoslavian communist who admitted to the robberies, and Adelana, a lesbian who confessed to the kidnappings. Some of his personalities were even small children. Milligan's defense argued that Billy, the core personality, was not aware of the actions of the other personalities and therefore could not be held responsible. The case of Billy Milligan was the first in U.S. legal history where dissociative identity disorder was accepted as a defense. Milligan was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and spent over a decade in various psychiatric institutions before being released. His case brought the condition into the public eye and had a significant impact on the field of psychology. It raised complex questions about the nature of identity and the legal responsibility of those with mental disorders. Billy Milligan died in 2014, but his story continues to fascinate and perplex. Whether you view him as a victim of a misunderstood condition or a criminal who manipulated the system, 
Milligan's story serves as a stark reminder of the complexities of the human mind. Stockholm Syndrome Patricia Hearst, better known as Patty, was the granddaughter of the wealthy newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst. In 1974, at the age of 19, Patty was kidnapped from her apartment in Berkeley, California, by a radical group known as the Symbionese Liberation Army, or SLA. What followed was a series of events that would captivate the nation and challenge the understanding of psychological manipulation and victimhood. After her kidnapping, Patty was held in isolation and subjected to physical and psychological abuse. Two months into her captivity, a recording was released in which Patty announced to the world that she had decided to join the SLA and had taken on the name Tanya. She began participating in the group's activities, even a notorious bank robbery in San Francisco. Patty's transformation from a victim to an active participant in the SLA's activities is a classic example of Stockholm Syndrome. The term was coined in the early 70s, following a bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden, where two men held four bank employees hostage for six days. To the surprise of the police, the hostages developed an emotional bond with their captors, even defending them after their release. This unexpected emotional attachment was later dubbed Stockholm Syndrome, named after the city where the incident occurred. This counterintuitive phenomenon has fascinated the world of psychology. The strong emotional bond that a hostage develops towards their captor, it is thought, is a survival strategy during captivity. The victim begins to identify with their captor, developing positive feelings towards them and negative feelings towards the authorities trying to rescue them. Patty's case became a national sensation, sparking a debate about whether she was a willing accomplice or a brainwashed victim. Her trial in 1976 was a media circus. Despite her defense team's argument that she was a victim of Stockholm Syndrome and had been coerced into participating in the SLA's activities, Patty was convicted of bank robbery and sentenced to seven years in prison. She served less than two years before her sentence was commuted by President Jimmy Carter. In 2001, she was granted a full pardon by President Bill Clinton. The story of Stockholm Syndrome and Patty Hearst are fascinating explorations of the human psyche under extreme conditions, offering a chilling glimpse into the blurred lines between victim and accomplice. It's a tale that continues to captivate, shedding light on the depths of human vulnerability and resilience. Body language. Let's take a trip back in time to the 1960 U.S. presidential debate between Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy. Those who listened to the debate on the radio believed Nixon was the clear winner. This seasoned politician was obviously more articulate and knowledgeable. Case closed. But the radio wasn't telling the whole story. You see, this was the first televised presidential debate in history, and the millions who tuned in saw something different. Nixon appeared sweaty and uncomfortable. He had refused to wear makeup to improve his on-camera appearance. In contrast, Kennedy looked calm, collected, and telegenic. 
His body language projected the image of a man who was confident and in charge. Kennedy won the debate with the TV audience, and he ultimately won the election. This event highlighted the strength of nonverbal communication. Body language, it's powerful, and it can send out signals that are loud and clear. Let's begin with a crash course in Body Language 101. Broadly speaking, body language can be divided into four key areas, facial expressions, posture, gestures, and personal space. Each of these channels conveys different types of information. For instance, facial expressions can reveal a person's emotional state, while posture can tell us about their self-confidence and attitude. Gestures, on the other hand, can reinforce what a person is saying or sometimes betray what they're trying to hide. And let's not forget personal space, a sphere around us that, when invaded, can cause discomfort or, when respected, promote trust. Remember the 2016 presidential debate? Donald Trump, looming ominously behind Hillary Clinton, a calculated move to establish dominance, a prime example of the power of personal space invasion. So how can you improve your body language interpretation skills? Well, some of it is fairly intuitive, like posture. A person's stance can speak volumes about their self-confidence, attitude, and even power dynamics. A straight spine exudes authority, while slumped shoulders reveal uncertainty. Other body language cues are a bit more subtle. Here's some tips. When you watch someone speak, pay attention to their hands. Visible palms and open hands are a good indicator that they are speaking honestly. Closed hands and clenched fists convey a message of dishonesty or having a hidden agenda. And if the speaker is talking directly to you, check out their feet. If their feet and toes are pointed towards you, it signifies that they are interested and engaged in your feedback and response. If their feet are pointing away, beware. They're looking for a way out. Next, see if you can pick up on the micro-expressions in a speaker's face. These are fleeting facial expressions that last only a fraction of a second. And they are involuntary, so they can't be hidden. Often it'll give away a person's underlying emotions or truth. Studies have even shown that if you can tune into the micro-expressions of a professional poker player, you can call their bluff nearly every time. Finally, remember context is key. A single gesture or expression rarely tells the whole tale. Make it your aim to read the entirety of someone's body language. Interpreting body language is an art, a science, and a skill that can be learned and honed. There's no wonder why the FBI Academy dedicates a large portion of its curriculum to this craft. So take some time to realize the messages your own body is sending out and then try to tune in to those coming in from others. It might just reveal a whole new layer of understanding. The Dunning-Kruger Effect. Let's take a whimsical journey into the curious world of self-perception. Imagine this. It's Friday night, and you and your friends head out to the local karaoke bar. Gary, your co-worker who, bless his heart, couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, saunters up to the stage, mic in hand, and boldly belts out the most ear-piercing rendition of Bohemian Rhapsody. Oblivious to the cringing crowd, Gary finishes with the confidence of Freddie Mercury himself. What you've just witnessed is not only a musical disaster, but the all-too-common psychological phenomenon known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. What is it? Well, it's called cognitive bias, first identified by social psychologist David Dunning and Justin Kruger in 1999. 
This phenomenon is the observation that individuals with low ability at a task often overestimate their skills, while individuals with high proficiency will quite frequently underestimate their own expertise. Dunning and Kruger conducted a series of experiments on subjects covering a variety of topics, including logical reasoning, math, grammar, and even sense of humor. They found that the worst performers, those in the bottom 10%, often rated themselves near the top. It was a gross failure of what we call metacognition, defined as the ability to analyze one's own thoughts or performance. For poor performers, their incompetence deprives them of the ability to recognize their mistakes. They're not skilled enough to realize they aren't very skilled. Does this overestimation of one's ability only affect the unintelligent? Not at all. A study done at the University of Nebraska showed that nearly three-fourths of the faculty members rated themselves in the top 25%. Hmm. In a similar survey, about 90% of MBA students at Stanford University rated their academic performance as above average. Curiously, many of those Stanford students who were actually in the top 10% indicated in the survey that they felt themselves to be about average amongst their peers. Highly competent individuals tend to assume that if something is easy for them, it must be easy for everyone else as well, leading to an underestimation of their own talent and performance. The Dunning-Kruger effect has a wide range of real-world implications. It can be seen when poor drivers overestimate their driving skills and get into accidents, or CEOs make bold, self-assured decisions and tank their companies. Or how about when politicians and even the general public receive only small pieces of information about science or health matters and then feel fully prepared to make sweeping policy decisions? In careers where performance is linked to safety, overconfidence can be a killer. The most important strategy in overcoming the Dunning-Kruger effect is in just acknowledging that it exists and realizing we are all vulnerable to its powers. It reminds us of the ancient wisdom in Socrates' paradox, I know that I am intelligent because I know that I know nothing. The effect underlines the importance of accepting our limitations, embracing humility, and maintaining a lifelong commitment to learning. The Milgram Experiment the German philosopher Hannah Arendt once said, The sad truth is that most evil is done by people who never make up their minds to be good or evil. She was reflecting on the atrocities committed by the Nazi regime and how ordinary German citizens had readily fallen in line with this movement. The Russian novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn provided similar insights on the Soviet Union's totalitarian regime. Put yourself in the shoes of the citizens of Germany and Russia amidst their leaders' evil campaigns. What would you have done? In America, a curious psychologist named Stanley Milgram decided to perform a real-life experiment to understand this phenomenon better. Here's how it went down. The study, conducted in the early 1960s, stemmed from a troubling query. Could the horrific acts perpetrated by individuals during the Holocaust and World War II be attributed to a strong propensity to simply just obey authority? To test this, Milgram set up an elaborate scheme at Yale University one that would forever leave a mark on the annals of psychology. In this experiment, volunteers were told they were participating in a study about learning and punishment. Each volunteer was paired with another person and randomly assigned the role of a teacher or a learner. 
The teachers were to administer an oral quiz to the learners from behind a wall so they could not see each other. The teachers were instructed to administer electric shocks to the learner every time they answered incorrectly on the quiz. With each error, the voltage of the shocks increased. What the teachers didn't know was that the shocks were fake. The learner was actually an actor and accomplice of Milgram's, purposely giving wrong answers and acting out pre-recorded cries of pain. As the learner's errors increased, so did the severity of the shocks, up to a dangerous level of 450 volts, which was marked as extreme intensity shock. The most unsettling part? Even as the learners cried out in pain, a large majority of the teachers, two-thirds in fact, continued to administer the shocks when urged by the authority figure, the experiment's conductor. These teachers even continued to deliver shocks after the learner fell silent, presumably no longer conscious. This blind obedience to authority figures, Milgram concluded, was a significant factor in how regular people could be coerced into committing atrocities. The ethical implications of Milgram's study have been heavily debated. Critics argue that the deception involved and the intense stress inflicted on participants crossed ethical boundaries. Despite the controversy, the experiment provided a chilling insight into the power of authority and the disturbing lengths to which people would go when instructed to do so. Milgram's experiment is a stark reminder of the fine line between obedience and blind compliance. So, by understanding it, perhaps the next time we find ourselves given an order, we will pause and reflect. It is, after all, our capacity to question and make conscious choices that make us human. Marshmallow Experiment Okay, parents or future parents, listen up. Have you ever considered what you can do in the early lives of your children to set them up for success? As it turns out, psychologists have studied this, and there is one single skill you can focus on that will open up doors to countless benefits down the road. Let's take a look at the pioneering studies in this field and their remarkable findings. But first, who wants a treat? Psychologist Walter Mischel and his team at Stanford University were the masterminds behind this marshmallow experiment. Mischel, who struggled with smoking and dieting, sought to examine the concept of self-control. The study was straightforward but compelling. A child, aged three to six, was placed in a room with a single marshmallow. The proposition was simple. They could enjoy the marshmallow immediately. Or, if they could resist eating it for about ten minutes, they would be rewarded with a second marshmallow. The real struggle unfolded once the researchers exited the room, leaving the child alone with the treat. It was a test of willpower, a tug of war between immediate satisfaction and the promise of a greater reward. The reactions were varied and fascinating. Some children succumbed to temptation instantly. Others distracted themselves by singing songs, covering their eyes or tying their shoelaces. And a few even managed to hold out for the coveted second marshmallow. But the true value of the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment became evident in its long-term findings. Michel and his team tracked the participants into adulthood and discovered a striking correlation. The children who had managed to delay gratification were significantly more successful in many aspects of life. Initially, they found these students achieved higher SAT scores, averaging 210 points above the children who had eaten the marshmallow immediately. Over the course of more than four decades, the participants were followed, and the experiment was replicated numerous times, consistently yielding similar results. Individuals capable of delaying gratification exhibited lower levels of substance abuse, lower likelihood of obesity, 
better coping mechanisms, lower divorce rates, higher incomes, and generally better scores in a range of other life measures. In essence, the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment underscores the power of self-control and delayed gratification as key ingredients for success in life. Importantly, Michel found that this trait is not fixed but can be cultivated and improved. So whether it's a child reaching for a marshmallow or an adult facing a tempting shortcut, learning to control our impulses can pave the way for a future filled with success. So the next time you or your child face a tempting immediate reward, remember the lesson of Michel's experiment. The ability to delay gratification, to wait for that second yummy treat, could be a pivotal predictor of future success. It's a sweet lesson taught by a simple marshmallow. The Elephant Rider Have you ever wondered why two people, both seemingly reasonable, intelligent, and well-educated, can have radically different views and opinions on things? It's a paradox, right? Let's put on our thinking caps and explore those mysterious cognitive processes that cause one person to swerve left while the other veers hard right. How, exactly, do we form our beliefs? Well, the answer lies in the intricate dance between our emotional and rational minds, a dance that shapes our perceptions in ways we often don't even realize. Let's turn to an expert in this field, Jonathan Haidt, a social psychologist. He likens the human mind to a rider on an elephant. The rider represents our rational thought, while the elephant symbolizes our emotional instincts. The rider may believe he's in control, but when the elephant decides to move, it's going to move. And while the rider might be able to, at times, successfully nudge or guide the animal, Ultimately, it's the elephant that carries most the weight. This metaphor beautifully captures the dynamic between our emotional and rational selves. While it may seem counterintuitive, it is our emotional mind that most often leads us to our core convictions and our rational mind that is, only then, called upon to defend them. This is true for even the heavyweight issues like political or religious beliefs. Your stances on these matters probably weren't derived from careful consideration of both sides of an issue, but more likely in your conscious or unconscious attempts to emulate someone you really liked or admired. This explains why more than 75% of us share the same religious beliefs as our parents. Guess who already knows this? Political candidates. Think about it. How many political ads have you seen recently that feature charts, graphs, and statistics? Illustrations meant to target our rational minds. The answer is none. Instead, we hear sentimental backstories, angry calls to action, or anecdotes about the single mother from Iowa who has to work two jobs just to keep food on the table. Politicians, promoters, and salespeople know that in order to change hearts and minds, they must first speak to our emotions. So what if our emotional mind is attached to a set of beliefs, but our rational mind identifies flaws and questions them? Basically, the elephant wants to go to the left, but the writer thinks it's better to turn right. It is in this internal cognitive dissonance that we can find both distress but also opportunity for growth. Should the rider, our rational self, always win this struggle? Not necessarily. Haidt argues that the interplay between emotion and reason is not only natural but also beneficial. Emotions can guide us towards beliefs that align with our values and help us connect with others. They add color and depth to our understanding of the world. However, it's also crucial to recognize when the elephant is leading the rider astray. We need to cultivate the ability to step back question our own beliefs, and consider other perspectives. So remember Height's analogy. 
recognize that your beliefs are shaped by both emotion and reason, and that's okay. It's part of being human. And the next time you're feeling particularly stubborn about a belief, ask yourself, is this my rider talking, or is it my elephant? It's a question that might just lead to some surprising answers. Credits. The stories, content, and narration in this podcast were created with the assistance of large language models like Bard from Google AI, Anthropic's Claude AI Assistant, and GPT 3.5 and GPT 4 by OpenAI. The background music was Inspirational Cinematic Trailer by Tailkeeper Music and Motivational Guitars by Clementi Skripnikov both from Pond5 Productions found at www.pond5.com. The narrator voices were produced in conjunction with Eleven Lab Studios at www.elevenlabs.io. Special thanks goes to my wife, kids and friends who provided suggestions and input throughout the project and put up with my incessant story writing over the course of 2023. Thanks, guys. The end.